Hey, before we get into this episode today, I just wanted to let you know that we would greatly appreciate if you liked, subscribed, left a review, five stars, five testicles, whatever you want to call them on this podcast. That will help this podcast rank higher in search results so that in the future, anybody who's searching for resources when they've just been diagnosed or have just become a survivor or is a caregiver, they can find this podcast more easily and listen to your stories. Thank you so much. And let's get into the episode. The stories shared on It Takes Balls are unique to the individual sharing. Always speak with your trusted medical provider for treatment options specific to you. Welcome back to It Takes Balls, presented by Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. I'm joined today by uh, a member of our armed forces. We've got J.D. Heilman here. J.D., thank you for being here. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. So you are a testicular cancer survivor. Tell me about your story. Um, I am. So, yeah, I, I started having issues back in about 2018. Um saw a urologist back in 2018 and uh, they didn't really have any concerns. Um, didn't really know why I was having pain, um, but wasn't, wasn't something related to cancer at the time. And it was actually, I, I ended up going to Korea uh, the next year, um, had some more pain, you know, the, it, off and on in my, in my left testicle and uh, ended up going to see a, a Korean doctor when you're overseas uh, a lot of times they don't have the facilities to be able to do all of the imaging and everything they need to do. Um, so they'll send you off base, which they did. Went and saw a Korean doctor in 2019. Again, uh, they didn't have any concerns about the cancer and really wasn't until I got back to the States in 2020 and the pain was just really not going away and getting worse that I finally went and saw a urologist again and yep, uh, got diagnosed, um, pure seminoma. I had my orchiectomy in, I want to say August of 2021, Um, went on surveillance, you know, as you do uh, every three months, getting my scans. I think it was my first three months scan that they identified one of my lymph nodes was getting uh, enlarged. Um, I left a peri-aortic. So obviously that set off some alarm bells. Um, We did a follow-up scan, I think the next month and it was continuing to get bigger. And that's when they went ahead and, uh, scheduled me for my RPLND, which I had last year in May, I want to say. And when that came back and that was seminoma, that's when I started chemo, uh, did four rounds of EP, um, ended in July of 2021. And, you know, here I am so far so good. Well, that's great to hear. Take me back to, uh, Korea. I mean, when you're, when you're far away from your loved ones, I mean, what is it like to kind of have something strange going on with your body? Yeah, it definitely wasn't, it wasn't ideal. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, you, you just kind of, kind of rely on what you're being told. Um, and at the time, you know, they, they did the imaging and there was nothing concerning. So I just kind of lived with it. Um, and it really, honestly, even though she was, you know, 15, 2000, however many miles away, um, my wife was the one who, when it wasn't getting any better, she told me to, go back and get seen. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, I, I, I did not until I got back to the States in June of 2021, but she was really the, she was my biggest advocate for helping me to go back and get seen because if it's not getting any better, you know, you, you really have to. So you you first started this, you said in 2018, you noticed something, then 2019 you were in South Korea. So mm-hmm. was that like, 
was COVID an issue at all? Like when you were first going to the medical facilities there, I mean, was that. No. So the COVID thing really didn't kick off till the end of my tour in Korea. Um, I was supposed to do a 12 month tour over there. And because of COVID they stopped uh, everybody coming in and out, you know, obviously for safety concerns. So I ended up being there an extra couple of months. Um, but really the medical care that you receive over there, it wasn't really at the time, uh, COVID wasn't really a factor, um, that, you know, played into me getting seen or, or any of the things that were going on with me. So you said when you came back, you're, you didn't exactly go right to the doctor. Your wife kind of pushed you. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, she did. Because again, you know, I had gone to the doctor in 2018 and they didn't really have any concerns. Um, I went back to the doctor in 2019 and again, they, they didn't really have any concerns. They had told me to follow up, but you know, in my mind, which, you know, looking back on it was really stupid, but in my mind, it was like, you know, I can, I'm going to go back and they're going to tell me it's nothing. And you know, we're going to press forward and I just have to kind of live with the pain. And she was really the one who was like, you know, advocating for me that no pain is not normal. Um, and you need to go back and get seen. And, and, you know, I'm thankful that she did that um, because honestly, if I wouldn't have gone back and got seen when I did, you know, who knows what, what could have happened. So had you heard the C word at any point, like in your earlier visits or had it not been a, a discussion until you finally got back to the U S no, and when? No, it wasn't really, wasn't really a discussion earlier on. You know, I, that was just kind of one of those things that I, I you know, I don't know if I'm alone in thinking this, but I think the C word is one of those things that that happens to other people. You know, that's, that's, that's not me, you know, that, and that's never going to happen to me. You kind of have that, uh, that sense of invincibility, if you will. So it really wasn't at the forefront of my mind until the urologist here in Arizona came back. And I mean, it was honestly, it was like a week. I went and saw him, and a week later, I had my orchiectomy because when he saw, you know, whatever growth was in there, um, he immediately scheduled me for surgery. So it was kind of really like a, a whirlwind, you know. But up until that point, it wasn't even something that had entered my mind at all. Yeah. So, I mean, what was that like when you first heard it? Because you have children, right? I do. Yeah. I have three boys. Yeah. So what kind of emotions does that, I mean, what does that bring? When How old were your boys when you were diagnosed? Uh, they were, what is this? Oh boy, here we go. Pop quiz. Uh, <laughs> they were f 14, 13 and 11. Oh wow. So they knew like something was going on, like when you were starting treatment. Yeah. Once, once, um, once I actually had my surgery and, um, was sat down and talked to them about it, they had kind of known, especially my oldest, he, he knew, you know, all these doctor's appointments can't be for, for nothing. So, um, he was kind of in tune with it, but yeah, I mean, it was really, I, I guess shock would be really the the word. I didn't really even have time to process what was happening. I mean, it, like I said, it was a week, um, between seeing the urologist and then being in surgery and then getting the, the pathology reports back that it was seminoma. And it was, I, you know, I didn't even really, thankfully my, again, my wife, you know, my biggest advocate was there because I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know. I, I, I really had no uh, direction about what to do. You know, it's not one of those things they prep you for. So it was really, um, it was shocking. It was, it was, 
yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, I'm sure anybody who's been through it knows, but you go from being normal one day to, you know, a week later, you have all these other concerns that, you know, nobody ever tells you what questions to ask or any of that. So it was, um, it was rough. Yeah. And it's interesting. You're the first guy I've talked to who's had children old enough to kind of know what was going on. So, I mean, having seen you gone through the whole treatment, is that something that they are now living with fear that it could happen to them? How are they handling that kind of aspect? Yeah, they definitely do. Um, you know, they've seen it, you know, they, through my treatment, through my surgeries, through all of it, they really, you know, they didn't, they didn't flinch. I mean, I'm sure they internally, you know, and I know internally they had problems and, you know, emotionally it was tough to deal with, but, uh, my oldest son ended up being a student of the year for the year that uh, I was in cancer at his middle school because they knew what was going on. And he, he never, his attitude really never changed. He showed up at school and did what he had to do. Um, had a positive attitude, even with everything that was, that was going on. Um, and now here we are, you know, I'm one year, almost one year post, you know, they're, they know they're very in tune with my follow-up schedule and all of these things that I have to do. Um, but our mantra the whole time was, you know, it's, we got to take this one day at a time because there's really nothing else you can do, you know, when you're going through it, especially when you have kids that are, that are that old. So that's kind of what we've adopted as our, uh, as our mantra is one day at a time. Um, they still have concerns, obviously, just like I do, but, uh, you know, we've, we've slogged through it. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about your, um, kind of your vulnerability in front of them to kind of, you know, cause chemo makes you weak and surgeries, you're laying down, you can't do anything. I mean, how did that make you feel with them watching? Oh man. Yeah. It, it was not, um, again, goes without saying wasn't really an ideal situation. Um, I tried to honestly tried to, um, keep it as far away from them as I could. Um, when I was going through treatment, I, you know, I mean, you know, you're so weak and tired. So I just basically stayed back in our, in our bedroom. Um, especially on the, on the, on the really down days and the days that I was feeling sick and just kind of stayed back there and tried to keep it away from them as much as possible. Um, in the, in between weeks when I was feeling, feeling okay, I'd, you know, I'd get up and I'd, I'd go and, you know, hang out with them as much as I could. But there was a lot of, it was a lot of, um, laying around the house in a weakened state and really just trying to keep that away from them. And it, it, it honestly, it, it sucked because there was a, there's a, that was right after they moved here. Right. So they're trying to adapt to a new place, new high school, new everything. And then they had that right on top of it. And, um, like my oldest son got into, uh, airsoft when we got here that summer and was really keen on, you know, trying to get me out there to, to, to play with him. And that was not on the docket, obviously when I was going through chemo. So, it's tough to watch them go through stuff that I normally, you know, participate in and have to have them do it without me because I just couldn't do it. Yeah. All right. Let's jump back into your treatment. So you, you had your orchiectomy and then you said you were on surveillance for a little while. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was on surveillance for probably, I had my orchiectomy in August of 2021, 2020. 
Um, and then I was on probably about six months before they identified that my left uh, para aortic lymph node was uh, enlarged to the point that we had to go in and do the RPLMD. Do you remember what your pathology was on your orchiectomy? Uh, it was pure seminoma. Okay. So none of the, the teratoma. That was one of the things that, um, you know, in retrospect, at the time, you don't really know what questions to ask. You just see seminoma on the on the sheet of paper, on the pathology report. But, you know, going back through it now, knowing what I know now, that there are so many different types uh, of testicular cancer that you can, you know, that you can have. Um, would have been a question I asked at the time. In fact, I, I crack my... Um, my oncologist up all the time because I come at them now with questions that I, you know, I probably should have had uh, at the time, but mm -hmm. um, it took me time to really wrap my mind around everything uh, and not being wrapped up in that whirlwind. So, but yeah, it was a pure, pure seminoma for the, for the orchiectomy. Yeah. So, okay. So you went, you had your RPL and D six months ish after your, uh, your orchiectomy. So tell me about your RPL and D was it laparoscopic open Where'd you have it done? It was laparoscopic. I had it done at uh, the Banner Hospital here in, in Tucson um, by a, a really, really good, really talented uh, urologist. Um, it was all, you know, all done with, you know, via machine. Um, as far as, as far as I know, I just kind of, you know, remember seeing the machine in there before they knocked me out. So, um, yeah, all laparoscopic. Um, they took, uh, ended up taking three or four, of the surrounding lymph nodes out of there too, when they, um, when he went in, because, you know, he could tell that something just wasn't right with those ones as well. So he, he took my left pair para aortic, but he also took a couple more of them and sent those off for pathology. And then obviously, you know, those all came back positive. So, okay. So this hospital you went to, you called it the banner hospital. It is a, yeah. Banner healthcare is the, uh, is it's one of the bigger uh, providers here in Arizona. So, um, and they have a really big hospital here in Tucson. It's the Banner Banner North it used to be University Medical Center, but um, now it's the the Banner Banner Hospital. Okay, I didn't know if it was related at all to like your military affiliation or anything. No, so this is uh, here at uh, where I'm stationed at Davis Monton. They don't. They have you know basically what they call an MTF, um, just a treatment facility. Most of those off base because they don't have, you know, they just don't have everything that they need to treat everybody. So they'll give you referrals off base. So, for, and this was definitely something that needed a referral to a, um, a specialist. Yeah. So, okay. So you had your RPL and D laparoscopic. What was the recovery like for uh, the laparoscopic RPL and D? That one actually wasn't too bad. I mean, it was a two weeks of just kind of laying around. I mean, I'll, a lot of this was just of laying around, you know, um, which can get frustrating when you're, you know, 37 and you want to be up and around, but, uh, yeah, it was a lot of, uh, laying around, um, the stomach, you know, obviously the stomach issues afterwards, not being able to flex your stomach or move around, you find out real quick how much you need your core to do really anything. But, um, it wasn't, wasn't too bad. I don't think the recovery from, from that. Yeah. I will not say your occupation. I'll let you say it if you want to, but it looks like you might do something that requires some heavy lifting. So, I mean, did you, were you back to work soon after or? So basically what happened, uh, yes, I'm, I, I'm an aircraft maintenance, um, for, you know, have been for 16 years. It's pretty much all I've known my adult life. Um, and it, a lot of that does require a, a physical movement of various kinds. Um, but at the time that I 
had my uh, orchiectomy and then it came back. I had, I had been on leave um, and my supervision was, was pretty much tracking what was going on with me um, and a credit to them. They were incredible through that whole process. They, you know, I basically went on a, a medical leave status um, for the duration of, of that summer. So I went and had my orchiectomy, or I'm sorry, my RPL and D and when the results of that came back and they were positive and, you know, we knew I had to go through the chemo, they basically said, you know, Hey, take the time you need. Um, and let us know, you know, when, and if you're ready to come back. And you're back to work now with, with any issues or no issues? Um, not, not, no real issues. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm 16 years in, I'm fortunate enough now to, it's more of a paper pushing job, which is, Hey, that's, you know, yeah. that's fine with me. you know, right. It keeps me out of, keeps me out of the heat. Uh, these guys that are out there working the aircraft, there's the, they're the real, you know, those are the, those are the, the real heroes when it comes to making sure the aircraft get fixed and get in the air. Um, but my only issue that I've had so far, that's been something somewhat challenging is the neuropathy. Cause not not being able to feel your hands and your feet, you know, can be pretty challenging when you're trying to use your, your hands or, you know, walk around the flight line and do all the various things that I have to do. Yeah. So we'll, let's, we'll talk more about side effects, but tell me about your, your chemo. Did you have any notable um, fevers or anything or side effects or nausea during chemo that stuck out? Uh, wow. So yes, cycle one and two were not, they were not bad. Um, I mean, it's as not bad as, as chemotherapy can be. Um, I was able to eat, uh, and really, I think I was able to eat mostly through the whole four rounds, but really specifically the first two rounds, um, my wife had bought a cookbook. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now. It's the, the cancer, cancer fighting, cancer fighters cookbook. Um, and she was, you know, in the kitchen making me all kinds of nutritious meals. Cause you never know. I mean, one day to the next, you never know what you're gonna be able to eat. So, um, but yeah, I was really able to eat didn't really have any issues. The third round is where the rubber started meeting the road. Um, I was hospitalized, excuse me, once during my third round, um, for dehydration. I was on my way to, to treatment. I think it was the last day of my, my week on of treatment for the third round. And I started fainting in the car. Mm. Um, and you know, this is, this is, you're talking June, June, July, um, in Tucson, Arizona, which is, you know, it's 105 degrees outside. So, um, just the heat and not being able to, to drink because that, that was one of my biggest challenges, you know, as the, as the chemicals build up, yeah, everything, t- you know, everything tastes like metal. So hadn't been uh, doing what I should have been doing as far as hydrating and yeah, started fainting and passing out. Um, and I got admitted to the hospital. I think my blood pressure was like 90 over 50 or something crazy. Jeez. Um, yeah, it was, that, that was not fun. Uh, gave everybody a kind of a scare there. But other than that, uh, that bump in the road and then, you know, not a couple of, a couple of times getting really nauseous and, you know, throwing up, um, wasn't really, wasn't really, I mean, I don't know, looking back now, maybe I'm suppressing some of these memories, but it wasn't, wasn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree with you. Um, when you were fainting, was that when you were driving or was your like wife driving you to treatment? No, it was actually my, my dad was driving me okay. to treatment. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I could not drive. Yeah. And, and really, I don't know, um, you know, if I'm again alone in this one, but being in the car towards the end there, that was a, a you know, for lack of a better word, that was a trigger because it, man, I would get so nauseous in the car yeah. and have to pull over and throw up. And yeah, it was, that was bad. So those side effects that you mentioned, tell me more about those and how they affect you. Yeah. So the biggest one I think so far has been the neuropathy. Um, it was, it was pretty bad, um, in the beginning, uh, towards the end of my, my, uh, chemo. Um, it's, it's gradually gotten better. Um, and I, you know, I guess I'm from talking to my oncologist, you know, it can last up to two years. So that's something to, to keep an eye on, but it's gradually gotten better, but that was not being able to feel your hands and feet is just the weirdest feeling. I think, um, that was definitely the worst one. There's, there's some foods that I still can't eat. Um, I have that, uh, that anticipatory nausea, um, when I drive by the oncologist office or have to go in there or even think about some of the foods that, that I got sick eating, yeah. uh, during chemo. Yeah. It's, um, it's, that's the real deal. I don't know. I, I really didn't know about that in the beginning, but yeah, that's, yeah, that, that sucks because I, you know, they tell you not to eat your favorite foods. I didn't really listen. So I <laughs> ate a couple of my favorite foods and I don't think I'll ever be able to eat them again. So oh, no. yeah, just the, that just makes you nauseous even thinking about it. But, um, some ringing in the ears, which, you know, for an aircraft maintainer is not, that's not uncommon. So I've, I've been dealing with that for a while. Um, yeah, really just the, the, the neuropathy is, has been the worst so far. Yeah. You mentioned those like triggers. Um, there's a specific like tide detergent that I find my brain like thinks that it smells like, uh, my pee did when I was in chemo and it oh, makes right. me yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, the the littlest things I don't know what it is can really make you go into a, 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 a nausea spell. It's really weird. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about survivorship. So you're how far into your into your survivorship now? You were treated in you said summer of last year, twenty twenty. That's correct. Summer of last year. Yeah. Okay. So you're coming up on a year. Yep. Uh, July 31st will be my one year, uh, anniversary as it were. Awesome. That's awesome. So how, like, what is your, um, have you had skin, scanxiety and tell me about all that? Oh my goodness. Yes. That is another one of those things that I was told about. Uh, but you know, you really have to go through it to, to understand what it's like, but yeah, that scanxiety is, is real. Um, probably, you know, two, three up to a week before, you know, you know, you have to go in, um, you know, that depending on the results, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be what it's going to be, but that's, that's a hard thing to, to process, I think. And, you know, probably from your experience too, um, one of the hardest things to do is to stop assuming that the worst is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're three, four days prior to a scan, it's really, you know, your brain, which you have to turn off sometimes, but your brain starts to tell you, you know, that it's going to be bad when, you know, the numbers tell us that, you know, most of the time it's not going to be bad. You know, oh, there's a lot, 90 plus percent 
of people who go through testicular cancer survive, right? So, um, but, you know, it's hard to tell your brain that when you are, you know, three days prior to a scan and then waiting for the results of the scan is just, can be the worst. Yeah. Yeah, I just had an ultra, I had another ultrasound because I was having a little bit of pain in my remaining. And uh, they noted some things that I guess, getting some opinions of doctors with through TCAF on the board, they said are not to worry about. But I guess because of the history, they're like really making note of these things. And like, I don't know if where you're at, you have the my chart or some kind of thing like that, like an app. Uh, I don't know. So we have like this thing called my chart and it, your results come up like right after the radiologist signs it. So you can oh, read okay. it before your doctor even sees it. And that can be brutal. Okay. So no, I, now I know what you, yeah, I'm tracking now. Yeah. We have, uh, they, they out or contract out the scans that I do to a different company and that company. Yeah. That you'll get the results within like 24 hours. Yeah. But then obviously, you know, it's, it can be a week or two before you see your oncologist. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I know what you're talking about. That was my, my first scan. I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but my first scan post post chemo, they noted a 10 millimeter uh, focal area in the area of my, my left parietic aortic lymph node. And of course you go, what, you know, what is that? Yeah. You know, is that good? Is that bad? So then, you know, waiting for that callback from the oncologist, I, yeah, I hear you. That can be, it can be brutal. So we meant, we talked a little bit about your kids. Um, is this something that they are actively like performing their self exams? Is that something that you guys talk about? Um, so we've talked about it a little bit, um, that you really have to, and, and my whole, um, I guess my takeaway from all of this is you have to be your, you know, your biggest advocate for your own healthcare and you have to, you know, take care of your body. And when things are, when things are different, when things, you know, show up that shouldn't be there, you have to advocate for yourself and, and go and, and get them checked. And part of that is obviously doing self exams. Um, so they, you know, they're, they're teenagers, so that's not really something they want to hear from dad right now uh, about how to, how to do a, a self exam, you know? Um, but you know, hopefully they'll like, like other things with teenagers, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll take some away from it and, and listen and, and really, um, take that forward as they get older. What about like some of your coworkers who I assume are younger ish, male, female, I'm going to guess predominantly male, but is this something that, you know, you're talking about with them? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're aware um, it's, it's my peers, right. Are the ones who are really, have really asked questions. I make myself available to, to anybody who wants to talk about it and anybody who wants to, uh, you know, know more about any of it. Um, your subordinates, right there, that's something again, just like, you know, trying to teach your, your teenage boys how to do a, a self exam from a supervisor sometimes that's not really something they want to, that's not a subject they want to broach. Yeah. Uh, all you can really, all you can really do is make yourself available. Um, if they have questions, um, the, one of the crazy things for me was going back to work. I went back to work in September. I want to say, so I ended my chemo in July and was back in September. Um, and in January, February of this year, I think, you know, I had, I had a, a coworker who had an experience with TC and yeah, I mean, it's, it's out there. So to your point, I mean, 
us that have been through it and know what to look for and know, you know, the experience. It have to be really the advocates for making sure everybody else kind of checks yourself and, and checks themselves and, and, um, advocates for themselves. Yeah. I, I think, I, you know, I don't know the numbers, but I know that testicular cancer is one of those cancers that is on the rise. Um, and they're, you know, not really sure why from, from what I understand, you know, I try to, I try to keep up on some of the, you know, the medical news. Uh, there's some of those, uh, reports that I read that, you know, I can only understand every other word, you know, the, and we, yeah. <laughs> you know, things, things, things like that. But, um, it seems like it's one of those things that's on the rise. So, uh, you know, again, that's my biggest thing is coming out of this is to advocate for yourself, uh, and know, know the signs and, and know how, what to do when you see something that's wrong. Yeah. I'm going to probably have to look this up and maybe edit it out if I'm wrong, but I believe it's on the the rise in the Hispanic community. Oh, really? I believe so. I'll have to double check okay. that. And I don't want to put out incorrect information. Right. <laughs> right. right. I noticed um, you're wearing the survivor wristband. Is that something that you wear all the time or is that just special for the pod? No, that's, I, I wear this everywhere. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that, again, that kind of ties all of us who have been through it together um, to, to show that, you know, Hey, we're here still. Um, and I, between that and, you know, I still wear my, my live strong bracelet because, um, you know, obviously the, it, what's funny is, you know, people that are over, you know, 30 people that are my age, when they see the live strong bracelet, they go, wait a minute. Whoa. Like, what is this? 2003 again, you know, but um, it's, again, it's just one of those things to, to show solidarity with everybody that's uh, been through it. Do you find that it's a conversation starter? Like if you're at a restaurant and the waiter or waitress is like, Hey, and then you can tell them you're give me your elevator pitch about TC. Yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, it gives you, it gives you the opportunity to give you, like you said, your elevator pitch, your 30 seconds or less, uh, you know, how, how do you compartmentalize everything that we've been through in 30 seconds or less, but uh, somehow you find a way to do it. But yeah, it, it definitely does. It, like I said, especially with the, the older generation that remembers just how popular those Livestrong bracelets were. Um, and then obviously the TC, the TCAF survive when they see the survivor, they, uh, they have questions. So it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. We've kind of talked at given, you've given advice already, but I mean, do you have any like advice for somebody who is just now starting down this road or has just finished their treatment and now they don't know where to go from here? So for the, for the, yes. So people who are just starting, my big thing is, um, because it's a whirlwind, just like I said. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in the experience of being told you're diagnosed. You know, most of us are in our twenties and thirties, uh, sometimes a little younger. Um, and that, and then what does that mean? Right. What does that mean to be a, a cancer patient, a cancer, you know, to go through cancer treatment. So my big thing is to take a deep breath and do the research to ask the questions, um, to get the answers that you need. Because again, I, I, I'll say it again. I crack my oncologist up because the, you know, I ask questions now. I only asked uh, him probably three weeks ago or at my last appointment, you know, why the four by EP versus the three by BEP, right? Because w when you see people's experiences, most people go through the three by the, the bleomycin and the etop side and, 
um, and the cisplatin. There's not, there's, you know, four by EP is just as effective, but why, why did you, you know, for me, did you, you know, do the four by EP? Mm-hmm. And his answer was pretty simple. He, you know, the bleomycin does can have negative effects on, on your lungs. Um, maybe, uh, and he didn't want to put me through that. So he was looking out for me, but that's probably a question that I should have asked, you know, w- when this whole thing started going on. So for people who are just starting to go through it, that's my big thing is to take a deep breath and, and try and gather up information and ask the questions that, that, that you need to, to get the answers you need. And then in survivorship, uh, my experience with it so far is it's all about training your training, your mind to, like I said, s- stop assuming the worst to, you know, know the facts about, um, you know, all of the things that come along with, with chemotherapy treatment. Right. Um, and cause it can be pretty scary, but know the facts, um, know that you're not alone. Um, and really just take it a day at a time. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Thank you so much. Do you have any doctors that you want to shout out in your, you're in Tucson, I am anybody in that region who's listening. Maybe they are looking for the, the top doc. Uh, Dr. Bajaj, uh, for, for TC, um, his name is Ong Bajaj. He's, he's been amazing and his team, um, he has a nurse practitioner who's amazing. Uh, John Lynn McGettigan, she's been fantastic. And really the whole, all the nurses and everybody at Arizona oncology, they've really, um, I don't know where I'd be without them, obviously. So they, they've been the best. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that I didn't ask about? No, I, honestly, I think that's it. I think we, we hit it all. Cool. JD, thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for your service. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's my pleasure. For more information and resources for your testicular cancer journey, visit testiculaircancerawarenessfoundation.org. You can also follow us on social media at Testis Cancer. We're on Facebook at Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation.